relevant content for our members by our members. This okay, good afternoon, everyone. This is Rich Swarbinski with the Mortgage Collaborative. I want to thank everyone for uh, taking some time out of a uh, very another busy day to join us this afternoon for our latest TMT Connect presentation, uh, Capital Market, State of the Market. This has uh, evolved into a recurring weekly segment at this time. It went so well uh, the first time we did it that uh, we asked our two discussion leaders, uh, who I'll introduce in a moment. Um, hey, can you guys do this every Wednesday at 4 o'clock Eastern for us? And uh, we were fortunate enough uh, for them to oblige. So uh, they are going to lead us on a uh, tour through all things capital markets and uh, certainly no shortage of uh, subject matter in that area right now. So um, TMC Connect, this is, I think we're doing eight of these calls this week, another eight we already have scheduled for next week on all the most pertinent items to you guys, our members going on in the marketplace right now. If you go to that link that you see on the screen or go to mortgagecollaborative.com and go to our member event calendar, you can see all the different calls we're doing and uh, with the links to register for all of them. So uh, really quickly, uh, just a reminder about our Ask TMC platform. Uh, it is a, a medium for our members to network with each other electronically. consists of a few different mediums. Uh, one is ask-tmc.com, a dedicated lender member-only message board uh, where our members are uh, asking questions of one another, dropping answers, advice, best practices, experiences in there. We have groups on Facebook and LinkedIn that do the same, so please check those out uh, when you have some time. Okay, our discussion leaders today, uh, the uh, two people I had mentioned earlier, Victoria Deleuze, uh, the EVP Capital Markets for Success Mortgage Partners. Victoria, thanks once again for uh, joining us. Absolutely. Uh, Mike Androvich, the Director of Secondary Marketing for First National Bank of Omaha. Mike, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. And uh, we leave it up to Vic and Mike to uh, line up the subject matter experts they want. And this week, uh, they dipped into the free agent pool uh, for Vinny Migliani, the SVP Capital Markets for FBC Mortgage. Vinny, uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Thank you. All right. So before I hand it over to Victoria, uh, certainly a tumultuous week for the capital markets. Um, you know, obviously we saw a massive amount of activity in the MBS market from the Federal Reserve last week that had um, negative consequences, actually, for many of our members. Uh, our CEO, Jim Park, uh, as well as the MBA and other organizations, uh, we reached out to the Federal Reserve last week to uh, really very clearly make them aware uh, how their actions were impacting our members. Uh, had some back and forth with them this week as well. Uh, it seems, uh, let uh, uh, Vic and Mike and Vinny talk about this, that uh, they've taken their foot off the gas pedal a little bit this week. But uh, the one thing they invited us to do um, is uh, they want us to provide them kind of a consolidated weekly feedback on how their MBS purchase strategy is affecting our lender members. So that's something we're going to put together on behalf of all of you, our members each week, and we're going to lean on a lot of the people on this call to help put that together for us. So um, uh, just an update there from some things that we had in the offer. So uh, with that, uh, I'm going to hand it over to Victoria to uh, lead us on a discussion of uh, the capital markets state of the market. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Rich. And honestly, I can't tell you 
how appreciative Mike and I are to you guys reaching out to the Fed. Um, it was, a, it was a, a very serious concern for all of us last week. And um, Mike, I know that you know me pretty well and you know that I love a good analogy. And so I thought I'd start this call off with a, with a good analogy because um, I think we could all use something to laugh at. But uh, so as you guys know, last week when the market really started to rally, it kind of, to me anyways, from a, from a lady's perspective, kind of felt like a waist trainer. And for all you guys out there that don't know what one of those are, or maybe you do when you're secretly catching up with the Kardashians, um, it's basically a bite. Um, that we wrap around our waist to, to make it look smaller. But the problem is, if you pull that thing too tight, you can cut off your oxygen supply and pass out. And that's kind of what I felt like on Monday. Um, and then finally, the market started to tank after my prayers to the saints of tanking markets and uh, started to loosen up a little bit. But I'll be honest, I still feel about two sizes too small right now. How's your waist trainer doing, Mike? <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. No kidding. Yeah, this this market has been... You posted an anal another analogy um, uh, about the river, where the river dries up. There's a drought, and we, we, you know, we went through two weeks of no liquidity, and then all of a sudden the taps turned on, and we didn't just get a little bit of rain; we got drowned. And um, it, to to switch into the analogy of the waist trainer, I I still feel a little tight and a little snug. I mean, I think as an industry, we're going to feel tight and snug because we've got to work through pipelines that are one bloated two we're all working remote as an industry and three um, I'm sure there's more than one on this call that have upside down hedges right now where um, there's actually a loss on the coverage and a loss on the loan so uh, you know I, I, I think with them backing off a little bit that was that allowed some breathing room um, I think there's still more work to be done though to get a little bit of a more normalized uh, price market. Um, good analogy on the waist trainer, and I did have to look that up. So um, I'll leave that out there for you, Vic. I appreciate that. Yeah. So, um, but no, I mean, along the lines of kind of what we've seen in the market, um, I know for ourselves and I know for you as well, Mike, um, we, we have never received a margin call, um, at least as long as I've been a success mortgage partner. And then we received our very first margin call on Thursday. And, you know, to say that it was a little bit of a mess is an understatement. Um, yeah. I actually had my team preemptively reach out to all of our broker dealers because we kind of saw it coming. We kind of saw the writing on the wall. And the feedback that we got from the broker dealers was all over the place. It was almost as if the MSFTA that you had signed didn't matter. Some of them, you know, some of the salespeople were making their own calls and then, you know, the right hand wasn't talking to the left hand. Um, and so we, we, we had some issues across the board in addition to the fact of sending out, let's call it 1.4 million in margin calls. Um, lucky for us, we got some of that back today. So that was pretty awesome. Um, I don't, what do you, what do you guys, what do you think about that, Mike? Kind of how did, how did you see that yeah. going and how did you handle it? Well, it's, it was it was complicated uh, complicated by the fact that we've got FINRA 4210 out there right now that's not in force but being used by some but not by others. Like you, right. we've we've effectively managed margin uh, margin calls. We've never really had any uh, to speak of, and and of course, being a depository, we're in a little bit of a different position financially from a risk perspective for. Um, some of our broker dealers, but we've we've hit, we've had margin calls from every single one of them in this market, as I'm sure everybody in this call has had. My goodness, um, it's a fact of life now. Um, but uh, uh, you know what was was very shocking to me, and and all the years I've been doing this, 
is when we got the margin call from Fannie Mae. That was a very just a of like, wow, this is this is beyond real at this point. It's surreal. So yeah, we're um we're managing good, um, being a depository, different different stance, different position than the independents, and that's why this was so vital to get the Fed to get the foot off the gas on this because and I think we talked about this uh, earlier in the week where, my goodness, independence right now, and correct my math if I'm wrong, but 64% of the loans originated in the market are done by independents, not depositories. That's correct. If, if that world were to collapse, I mean, do you want to talk about a complete breakdown of, of mortgage lending? You, you, it would be catastrophic beyond beyond words. I mean, almost unimaginable. Absolutely. And I know that, um, you know, we've been working really closely with the folks at TMC and, you know, other trade groups such as MBA and some other folks out there. Um, and uh, I know that the, at least as far as I'm aware, the Federal Reserve hasn't actually come out and made any announcements saying, hey, we're going to take our foot off the gas. Although I think we've seen it happen in the market, right? Yeah, um, yeah, we have. So, so last week, um, the, the Federal Reserve came out with a big gun, basically dusting off the old playbook from 08 and purchase essentially 20% of the mortgage-backed securities that we um, create in a year in the span of two weeks. Um, and so we saw the effects on that. And you're right, from, from an IMB's perspective, we don't, we don't have, you know, several hundred thousand or several hundred, several hundred millions of dollars that we can tap into for our margin calls. Um, yeah. For us, we're super well capitalized. And so I'm very thankful for that. Um, but even, um, and I'm going to steal a line from, from Vinny because uh, one of the reasons I wanted Vinny to be on this call is he actually helped me craft a letter to the Federal Reserve um, that I shared with um, some folks, uh, the MBA in particular, and I took it upon myself to send it to several people at the Fed too, just because it, this is one of those situations where you kind of need all hands on deck, right? We can't just rely on an entity to be our voice. Um, and so I know that, yeah. Mike, you worked with several other um, people and several other entities to kind of make sure that our voice is heard. And again, one of my other little analogies that I do, I uh, put something out on LinkedIn um, with Horton Here's a Who. And it, it seems funny and it seems childish, but um, really it was it, we as an industry were screaming that we're here, we are here. And said, "We need you to hear us before you kill us." <laughs> no, that's that, I mean, very well said. Yeah, we were um, um, many of us. Many of us in the industry were were spending our weekends on the phone, calling cell phones, calling calling people. I think um, I did did close to 100 calls, 150 calls myself. I know several of our broker broker dealers in the industry. Every single one of them was calling anybody, and everybody they knew. And I don't want to, and I know we're not. You know, demonizing the Fed. I mean, look, you know, they came to the market and they came to the market in a big way and they brought a big gun and didn't, just didn't realize they didn't need that big of a gun. So I think it's a good story. I really do. Um, where they, they recognized there was a need and they recognized yeah. that they had to come in big, come in strong and show support. So they did that. And and it was man, it was appreciated. Believe me, I mean, we were all like, thank thank God, it's finally happening. And then all of a sudden, it's, what is happening? Right. <laughs> you know? like, no, 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 stop, stop, stop. Yeah. So us mortgage uh, bankers, we're never happy. Um, <laughs> right. But, uh, right. But you know, one of the things that I wanted to talk about is because that's just that's just half half of the pie there, right? So the value of mortgage backed securities and and how that affects our hedge and how that affects everything else. 
Then we have the other half, which is the value of the underlying asset, right? So the mortgages that we all originate and, and how much can we make on those? Because two weeks ago, we thought we could make X. And then overnight, we realized that we could make about half. And the, the, I mean, due to servicing values going from, you know, wherever they were on conventional versus government to essentially zero, losing the spec pay up. And I've actually had several conversations with um, the aggregators that we sell to. And we were told that they're actually whacking the bond price about 50 basis points um, because they just don't know where to price it because screens still aren't correct. Yeah, yeah. That's. Are you seeing the same thing on your pipelines, uh, Vinny? Yeah, you know, it's 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 an interesting phenomenon because you know you look at the TBA market and historically there wasn't that much basis risk, right? But uh, you know, it really depends on whether you're selling to the aggregators or you're selling direct. Um, historically, if you're selling direct and you're using TBAs, it, it, the matchup is pretty close. But what we've seen since this market uh, has kind of gone haywire in the last what three four weeks, uh, you know, the agencies have put on additional guarantee fees into their cash window pricing and, and yeah. probably doing the same inside of their buy-up and buy-down grids for MBS sellers. So what you thought you were going to make on the, the asset side is not there. And so there's this huge basis risk between right. CBA and, and selling direct. And there's 10 times more basis risk, I'm sure, if you're selling aggregator because they've crushed their their entire value. Right. Yeah. Hey, Vinny, can, you, can you... Oh, I was going to say, hey, Vinny, oh. can you do us a favor and just kind of talk about, you know, your shop and how you guys handle things there and, you know, the way that you guys execute just so everybody in the crowd has some perspective? Yeah, so uh, we are primarily a direct seller. Um, historically, you know, we place a lot of value on going direct and, and uh, prior to this market run up, uh, we would sell very little outside. Uh, we would sell opportunistically um, wherever it, it hit a, a hurdle rate to go outside. But, uh, you know, in today's market where the name of the game is getting loans uh, on your warehouse line and off quick, uh, we made a switch to 100% direct. And uh, to my earlier point, you know, we've seen that huge basis risk where, uh, and you see it in your mark to market values where, you know, and you see a big P&L difference versus expected versus you know, what you see on your mark to market reports with the agency is doing what they're doing and, and monkeying around with their with their cash window pricing by virtue of guarantee fees. Yeah, we've we've actually been seeing that. We've got both tickets. We can do it, do uh, MBS for Fannie and Ginny, or we can sell straight to the cash. And we've we've been selling cash because cash has been king for uh, quite a long time. But to your point, Vinny, we monitor those those spreads on a multiple times a day, <clears throat> and we actually see. In recent days, where MBS has strongly come ahead of cash window pricing in excess of 20 or 33 basis points, um, so yeah, I mean there there are some real big flips going on at Fannie Mae right now with their pricing, and it is it is clear as day we see it, um, we see it, yeah. One of the ways that that um, we are actively working on with both agencies is to help minimize that basis risk is to start taking some longer dated mandatory contracts and, and, you know, we already have the loans that we're going to put in there, um, but that way there's certainty of execution, right? And so as long as you deliver into it, you're not using the agencies as a hedge, uh, you know, there's a lot less basis risk and, you know, 
what to expect price-wise. Well, yeah, you're guaranteed. We've we've kind of we've been exploring that and have done that to a limited degree. One of the um, interesting pieces that we've we've seen as well in the execution not only are is is are we seeing the pricing back, spec payups gone, cash MBS spread has collapsed. Um, you know, when you go to lift your hedges, you're actually seeing a three and a five ticks back from the screen, which yep. of course is gain on sale. And Vic, I think we were talking about that, right? Yeah, no, we're definitely seeing the same thing. And, you know, back to your guys' point of, you know, taking those 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 forward uh, commitments out with the Fannie Cash window, um, we just decided that we were going to start selling um, directly to Fannie because Fannie's actually the only, um, you know, ticket we have to go direct is through the Fannie Cash window. Um, and we're not, we don't have our Jenny ticket. We don't have our Fannie ticket. We're kind of beholden to, um, I mean, I'm sorry, Freddie ticket. We're kind of beholden to Fannie right now. And one of the things that we saw was that the the Fannie cash price, even though you said that the the MBS versus the cash price did kind of um, spread out there, but the cash price is still better with no servicing value um, in there mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. than all of the aggregators out there. And so um, we're really looking to start selling most of our business through the cash window and really just kind of um, bulking that servicing up. And then hopefully if, when it's worth something someday, we'll, we'll sell it. Um, but that, that's kind of been our strategy as of late. I got a question for both of you, actually. It's something I was kind of thinking about earlier today. Do both of you service in-house or are you using, you using a subservicer? We use a subservicer. Okay. Yeah. So just to give a little perspective, um, we had all of 87 loans um, in our servicing portfolio okay. before <laughs> before this happened. Um, and so we, we kind of did it just in case, you know, we, we ever really needed it, um, which was great because now we really need it. Um, but we do use a subservicer um, and we're using uh, DMI. Okay, very cool, very cool. We service a majority. When I say majority, I mean pretty much all of it in-house. Um, we've got DMI as a sub on a certain segment of our population of originations that we originate nationwide. Um, have either of you guys been hearing or having any conversations? I mean, I was on a call where the topic regarding um, servicing um, values, you know, servicing values is going to be a big, big topic coming in, into, into, into the world here with the uh, – forbearance piece, you know, that we're looking at, uh, past in Washington. I, I heard on a call where some originators are looking to book their servicing at a zero value. Have you guys, uh, if, and the answer may be no, I just didn't know if you guys, for the purpose of the call, have you guys, have you guys heard that or had those conversations or. I, I, I have heard that. Um, now granted, I, I don't know. I don't know what that does to a person's, um, you know, asset position. If oh, and yeah. I don't know if you, you know what I'm saying? Like you're <laughs> yeah, the devil's in the details <laughs> on that one. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, I mean, if you want to start booking your servicing at zero and now you take your asset position from, you know, several million dollars worth of servicing down to zero, how that affects, you know, the overall health of your company or ability to get warehouse lines or any of that. But yeah, I have heard of people doing that. <clears throat> Aside from book value, Mike, though, you know, one of the things that I think makes a lot of sense, especially for for people that are pricing to, you know, direct cash window or Ginny Mace securities and not aggregators, uh, you know, on your rate sheet is 
eliminating any kind of implied SRP. So if you're pricing to a retained strategy, like like I am, and and like sounds like Victoria's might might start, it you know definitely look at backing out that implied SRP because even without that, rates are pretty damn strong right now. <laughs> oh, Seriously. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we started yeah. backing out our. Go ahead, Vic. Oh, no, I was just going to say, yeah, we actually, we, we've we been pricing to MBS um, since mid to late last year, um, because unfortunately, all of the aggregators decided to sunset their mandatory adjuster um, adjuster grids, um, so essentially their forward pricing, so we couldn't price to that anymore anyways, but yeah, we did, we actually pulled out, especially on the, the government side, any kind of um, implied servicing, because it's not there, and as a matter of fact, it's yep. trading at negative. Yeah, yeah, we we started uh, backing out our implied servicing um, three weeks ago, four weeks ago. I don't know; it could have been a month, month and a half ago. For all I know, it, they, these days have been running in together into each other in this market. Um, I, I, it's it's amazing. It's April uh, already, and we've survived. But uh, yeah, we've been whacking, uh, backing out our uh, servicing value and the pricing. Um, pretty aggressively actually um and i think it's probably down to zero now just just because we don't know what the future holds um um you speaking know. of not knowing what the future holds um have any of you guys made any changes to your guidelines and what you guys are allowing um not just on the government side but also on the conventional if you guys want to talk about what kind of changes you've made and how it's been received by your sales staff <laughs> I think most of our folks to- totally understand where the market is, right? Aside from uh, agency, they're really agency engineering. There's no other game in town. So, uh, you know, we, we proactively shut off uh, anything aside from, you know, Fannie, Freddie, Ginny, um, shut those off. And then uh, quite honestly, overlays galore that I, it's a little hard for me to list, but, <laughs> uh, you know, changes to minimum credit scores, uh, looking at payment shock, looking at DTIs on government loans, definitely looking at, uh, you know, whether, whether it's an impacted borrower on, on you know, what, what uh, industry they work in and whether it could be potentially uh, hit by this uh, economy that we're up, up against. Um, a lot, lot of changes for sure. Yeah, it's bad yeah. when you're, at least in my case, when you're part of the team that actually makes the changes, but you can't remember the changes you decided to make. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly uh, what it is. Anymore, I can't even remember what I had for breakfast today, and that was just a few hours ago, for goodness sakes. Um, <clears throat> yeah, we've, uh, we've so we've got a pretty, being a depository, we've got a pretty good, pretty good, strong, pretty strong book of portfolio lending, um, running about 26% of the pipeline right now. And, um, we, we have actually gotten ahead of, ahead of the uh, locomotive a little bit with our, our underwriting guidelines. And we have definitely tightened up our credit standards for portfolio. We're also, we've also been hearing, even though we retain all of our Ginny May, we've also been hearing about the, the changes out in the correspondent channel in the servicing release world where FICO's under, well, where FICOs are, are starting to get a, a loan-level price adjuster applied to them by the aggregators in anticipation of EPO or EPD. Or oh, EPD yeah. Risk. So, yeah. I mean, just, just to give you guys a little bit of, of a perspective, um, so we actually um, did institute new, new minimum FICOs um, and new max CTI. So we went to a minimum 660 FICO on all government loans, um, and we actually did a 43 DTI. So basically what we did is we created a conventional borrower, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, and 
And then exactly. And, and we're not allowing any manual underwrites right now either. Now, if things change and we start to see the market kind of, you know, swing back to our way, we may loosen that up, probably not on the FICO, because the other thing you have to think about, I mean, especially if you're an INB, are, you know, your warehouse lenders. It's not just the people you're selling to, it's your warehouse lenders and the new rules that they're coming out with too. And so we've had several of our warehouse lenders um, and even some of them that we've had, that we have really great relationships with, where we called them in the morning and said, hey, you know, are you guys still committed to government lending? And they're like, yep, sure, we're all over it. And then at, you know, 505, we get an email saying that they just cut off all FICOs below 680. So, wow. I mean, yeah. And, and that's the thing, like, that's the thing that we struggle with on our side, you know, selling to aggregators. We're getting a new notice every 30 to 45 minutes of a change that an aggregator is making. And so it's so tough to keep up with everything. We have to squeeze it in maybe a little bit more than we would like just to make sure that we don't get caught off guard owning loans that, you know, to be quite honest, we really shouldn't be owning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a lot, there's a lot, a lot of changes coming. I think, you know, what we're, what we're seeing, you know, is, is, I mean, first it's, it, you got to admit, this is kind of exciting being in this industry right now, especially in capital markets. I mean, all right. I know it's going to sound a little, um, little crazy to say this, but this is really exciting to see. I mean, just to, to see this, we are seeing history being made. Um, it's true. That's what I tell my team all the time, Mike. I'm like, yeah. just think 10 years from now, because the, uh, the folks that work for me work with me, um, they're, they're in their late 20s. And they get to hear all of the, the folks that lived through 08 talk, oh, back in 08 when we saw that happen. I'm like, this is going to be you guys. This is yep. going to be you in 10 years. <laughs> yep, that's, that's, that's true. And, you know, and, and, and this is where you know, the value of these relationships. And I want to encourage those listening into this call. So, you know, I've got a network of phone of friends where literally there's, there's people in this industry that I have no problem calling and asking a question because I've been doing this a long time, but I don't know it all. And um, first off, that's really important to recognize. But number two, pick up the phone and reach out to somebody because chances are somebody may be looking at something a little differently. Um, you know, like like you know, Vic has a different pro, different perspective coming from an IMB IMB space. You know, a lot of folks think banks don't. You know, we're we're, we're like, oh, good. Some of these IMBs are going to be blown out. No, that's that's not the case at all. That's not the case at all because it hurts the industry as a whole. Um, and that's, and that's where it's important to have those connections on either side of the aisle. So, you know, as a part of the TMC, I mean, the mortgage collaborative I know is really good at connecting people and people with other people. And I've seen that in our own organization here at the bank, as we go through some of the struggles and challenge, because by the way, for everybody on the call, looks like we might be transitioning LOSs too, through all this. So, Hey, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Double down, Bless right? You. Double down. Good luck. Yeah. So there's there's my plug. Just to everybody to just make sure you stay connected and uh, don't get into that hole. Because I I know sometimes in capital markets, you know, this is really exciting and we get wrapped up in the pricing, wrapped up in the screen, and six hours can go below by you and you you don't even realize it. So there it's, we go. It's true. I mean, not to mention that you know most of our companies like to hide us in the basement with the windows, anyways. But uh, <laughs> and I, a swing um, line stapler. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> but um, you know, one of you make a really, really great point because 
you know, I've been fortunate enough to make some really great relationships with folks, um, especially in the TMC. And they know that I don't have my Jenny ticket. And they know that I'm still beholden to the aggregators right now. And we're trying to do everything we can to make sure that, you know, we can still do government lending. But it, it's made a little more difficult right now because we are, you know, we hooked our buggy to the aggregator cart. Um, but I had several people reach out to me and say, hey, I have my Jenny ticket. If you guys get stuck with that, you can sell it to me. And I'm not going to rake you over the coals like an aggregator would. Yep. That's, that's a true story. So, but anyways, um, and one other fun fact I just wanted to uh, throw out there, kind of circling back to the whole margin calls. Um, for us, we made every single one of our margin calls. I am happy to say, I know that there are several people out there that were not able to meet all of their margin calls. And, um, and, and that's, it's, honestly, it's really sad. It's unfortunate, but it's kind of the current state of affairs that we're in. And I uh, had a conversation with my Fannie Mae rep and, you know, just for funsies wanted to know what would happen if we maybe didn't meet our Fannie Mae margin call, considering Fannie Mae isn't technically a broker dealer and Fannie Mae is still under conservatorship. So I just wanted to kind of know what they would do. And the response that I got was that they would liquidate our entire position, which um, right now is very large, I'm sure like most of you. And uh, we would have we would owe them the pair off at current market and they would shut off our ability to commit through the cash window. So essentially they would put us out of business overnight. So for anybody out there that might be having trouble making some of their margin calls and you're picking through um, which ones you may be able to make or you may not, I would highly, highly, highly suggest not ever missing Fannie Mae or if you're if you have a broker dealer line with any of the companies that you also sell through to as a correspondent, um, those lines are very very closely connected. So just food for thought. Well, oh, that's a very very sobering and very valid point to point out. Um, not a lot of people recognize or understand when they sign up with the agencies to trade with the agencies and deliver to the agencies, or broker de- or or uh, correspondents that there is a double double. There's two sides to that coin. Yeah, that's that's very hey, good point. Hey Victoria, do you guys also trade uh, with Freddie Mac on their uh, TBA desk? We do not. We actually were only approved with Fannie. Yeah, we don't either. Do you? Do you? Do you? What have you been hearing? Um, we are set up there, but they're obviously not on TradeWeb, and so we're probably going to start utilizing them a little more. But uh, th- their levels aren't historically weren't weren't that great. But in this market, I mean, are anybody's? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. 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 Hey, guys, we, we have a question coming through I wanted to read off to you guys. It says, what are you doing in the loan sale process to commit and sell faster? I didn't know if any of you guys wanted to take a stab at that. I mean, I know for us, um, we're we're still holding to our – we don't trade a loan unless we have the closing docs received. Um, so the loan is closed, we got the docs back, and then we will trade the loan out um, to the aggregators or to Fannie. Um, I will say that we are taking out shorter commitments with some of the aggregators that will give us a much better payup. 
Um, so like a penny Mac right now will pay us up about 75 basis points if we take out a nine day commitment, but it's not just getting it delivered in nine days. They have to purchase it within nine days. And so we've communicated that to our post-closing department that, hey, if you guys need an extra person or two or three, um, we're, we're willing to throw bodies at that right now to get that pay up because every basis point has never been more important. Um, I don't know if you guys are, you know, taking a look at that, trying to turn your warehouse lines. Um, uh, I, I don't, I don't think you, do you use warehouse lines, uh, Mike? I don't think you do. Do you? No, no, we actually don't have, uh, uh, any issues with, with funding loans or not selling loans. Um, actually interest income is kind of a good thing for us on our side. Right. Um, so what we have done though is we've sped up selling our loans. Traditionally, we we would blow our loans out in large blocks at Class A B uh, at, at the settlements. Um, we have shifted gears in this market in this environment though because we can't trust pricing. You can't trust the screen. If we see our 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 spread MBS cash spread widen, um, we we clip that and we move it on out out the door as fast as we can. But we're 100 percent agency too, so. Um, yeah, not much to add add to that, unfortunately. I'm sorry. Vinny? Yeah, being that that question came from someone on my team, I really was interested more on what your process was. But uh, <laughs> our process lines up very closely to yours, Victoria. You know, get the closing package back, commit the, the loan for sale and uh, for the shortest time period, and really all hands on deck from a human capital standpoint, try to get these loans shipped and, and uh, out the door for us. Uh, Ours is uh, direct, 100% direct to the agency, so there's there's no review review time for for the investor. Yeah, I mean, just step back a little bit. I mean, our process, um, you know, post closing, we've got uh, our post closing staff is listed as essential here at the bank um, due to the review of the documents. Um, They're coming into the tower. Um, I come in two two times a week, three times a week as needed to sign collateral, sign the allonges, whatever. And um, you know, we we're we're moving fast, but wait when we get ready to sell a loan, it leaves post closing, it's hundred percent locked in, ready to go, ready to be funded. And we'll usually do a two day, three day trade in normal circumstances. I think now we're doing three and four day trades just to make sure things get to where they need to be in time to avoid any right. extensions in this market. Absolutely. And, you know, you kind of bring me to my next uh, topic I was going to talk about, and I know it's not, um, it wasn't part of our original um, lineup, but um, as far as extension go, extensions go and how everyone is handling that, considering the environment that we're in, considering that you have uh, appraisers that won't go into homes um, and you have counties that won't, um, that, that are closing their doors. And so you have all of these unforeseen circumstances um, and are requiring for us to extend the lock. Um, I'll tell you what we guys, what what we have done, and um, I'd be interested to see what you guys have done. But there is a provision in the LO comp law that says that you can actually hit a loan officer's compensation for an unforeseen circumstance. And so basically what we said is, hey, if one of these unforeseen circumstances arises, first you should tell your borrower that, you know, you still have to pay an extension fee. If you can't stomach doing that or they can't afford it, um, we would be willing to split that extension fee with you, which is still our normal two basis points per day. So if you need a 30-day extension, you will get paid 30 basis points less in your LO compensation. And we've actually had that um, written off on by um, all three of our um, 
uh, legal opinions. And um, I, I didn't know if you guys were doing anything on that front or not. Yeah, if it's, uh, you know, the, the actual verbiage, I think, in the law, I'm not a lawyer, but from what I remember, it's for unforeseen circumstances, right? So um, if there are unforeseen circumstances during a transaction that requires an extension uh, that can can be, um, you know, hit to loan officer compensation, for us, we put out a policy more recently with with roll costs going up as much as they have been, um, we really put out a policy. We wanted to make it gray and just say, you know, lock extension requests will be reviewed case by case. And then we decide from there. Got it. And so what we've seen since then, I think we put that out last week, maybe early last week. Um, people try to, to lock their loans more prudently at, at the right time and, and maybe even for slightly longer. But, uh, you know, they know that more than likely the extensions are going to be looked at very closely. Yeah. What about you, Mike? Yeah, we're we're uh, we're not using that clause in the law at this time, but we are. We do have something in policy where we can um, go back on EPOs or something, EPDs or something to that effect, um, and no meaning meaning if if something pays off out of the portfolio, either Fannie or bank, they don't uh, receive commission or something to to that effect. Now, as to extensions. What we're doing is we're actively managing with sales staff to contact the borrowers, stay in front of the borrowers. That twofold twofold actions there. Um, it keeps the loan in the pipeline or moves the loan out of the pipeline um, if the borrower has an unforeseen economic event or something to that effect, um, which brings up a, a – a good point that we've been talking about in previous conversations is, you know, managing fallout into an unforeseen, that unforeseen event of unemployment numbers that we've been hearing about, which are quite staggering. Um, <clears throat> you know, we're managing, we're managing our fallout and we're working with sales to try and get those loans out of the pipeline if they need to be get removed from the pipeline. So we don't have to deal with those extension fees because we all know they're coming and they're going to be deep and they're going to bite. They're going to bite hard. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so I, I couldn't agree more. We actually did a, um, a video that our CEO um, recorded and sent out. And basically, it explains what's going on in the economy. And it, it explains that, you know, we're your mortgage lender. And then it just basically has two buttons at the bottom where they ask the borrower to click to say, have you had a change in either your employment or your the number of hours you're working or um, the salary that you're making? And so we can make sure that we are um, completely on top of the, the loans that are, are and are not going to pull through. Um, and uh, one of the changes that we made to, to help with, you know, obviously our hedge position and trying to zero in on what our pull through is really going to be is we, we changed our lock terms. At first, we, we took a little bit, um, we leaned more toward extended locks. But as you guys all know, an extended lock is really just extended risk. Um, and we kind of got caught off guard a little bit with some of those um, with, with some of those extended locks. And so we kind of, you know, did a 180 and said, hey, in order for us to really manage our because obviously we were we were trying to appease our sales staff. Um, but when it comes down to it and trying to manage your hedge, uh, the shorter the lock. Um, the more accurate uh, your pull through is going to be. And right now, given the circumstances, you know, that we're under with the economic forces and the pandemic and all of that, 
some of these borrowers, you don't know if they're going to have a job in, you know, two weeks, let alone 60 days. And so we're, that's one of the things that we've done. We've actually moved our lock terms um, to 15 days if you have a clear to close and 30 days if you're conditionally approved. And then um, we completely dropped our 45-day lock. And for mm -hmm. 60, 75, and 90-day locks, we're pricing to best effort, which is actually horrendous. Um, oh, I'm yeah. not sure if any of you guys have looked at best effort pricing lately, and I think that was a play a lot of folks made. They, you know, stopped doing mandatory and uh, moved over to best effort. Just uh, for some color, I priced out a 584 uh, FICO score um, on an FHA loan just to see where it might price out. Raw pricing, no margin, no LO comp, no nothing taken out, 88. Yeah. Yeah, I've been seeing some of those best efforts rate sheets come through and take a look at them. And anybody pricing the best efforts, the mandatory spread right now has has got a um, um, got a challenge, a very big challenge right now uh, in pricing. Period. Um, um, now there's you know, and, you know, and, and there's also word on the street too that some of the um, some of the aggregators are moving to a minimum 90 day best efforts rate lock, um, and they're not funding before that um not sure not sure if you guys have heard that on the street as well um you're more active in that space than i obviously but um is that a is that a thing out there where we're starting to see what i would perceive as possible poten potential funding issues with investors slow yeah, down that, uh, that, yeah that definitely sounds like something going on there because otherwise you know why else would they want to take on that kind of long interest rate risk and, yeah. and that's that's exactly the point, right? Like, so that's why we we made that pivot from those extended locks because we didn't want to take on the risk. So there's definitely got to be something going on with how how quickly they can make it through the files or being able to fund that. So because nobody in their right mind wants to take on that long of a risk, especially in that market or in this market. Well, and this is where we kind of loop back to the Fed liquidity conversation, where you know where our pricing is in the street is so all over the place right now. Margin calls are crushing these guys. Um, you know, it, it's um, it, it's I, I, it, it's almost beyond comprehension in some some spaces because I mean, to that point, I looked at a best efforts rate sheet this morning and I saw that it was 22 basis points just to get to par with no margin. No adjusters, <laughs> nothing. You know, yeah, they, um, they they just don't want anything right now. And, yeah, yeah. You know, companies that are selling one hundred percent best effort, I, I I really feel for them right now. Well, well you know what? But that brings me to a really good point. I don't. If anybody's on this call and is selling best effort and is actually seeing some decent rates out there, or are you just pricing to best effort and and selling best effort? And you're just basically showing horrendous pricing. And how is your sales staff um, dealing with that? Uh, if anybody has any feedback on that, we would love to hear from you guys. I, we don't we don't do that, but I'd definitely be interested um, in, in hearing that side of the fence. Yeah, that'd be some that'd be some valuable feedback. Um, I mean, the pricing is is all over the board right now in our markets, and you know, and and to that to that point, margin compression, not not. Margin compression is still an issue, only because the trade side is such a mess. Um, it's almost if only comical. that was our biggest problem right now, Mike. Absolutely, I know. I thought, I thought I, that term was going to stay in 2018. Yeah, I, I, yeah. Thank you. I mean, you know, and and to that point, you know, with fallout, locking with best efforts investors, locking with mandatory investors. Um, 
Um, the one thing that, that we're struggling with on our end right now is, you know, when we do our fallout assumptions and we're, we're, we're trying to construct our hedge and manage our hedge, you know, there's some very big, very different realities out, out there. I mean, Vinny, your pipeline, Victoria, your pipeline and my pipeline are two or three. Excuse me. I, I don't math too well there. Um, <laughs> we we are, use Excel. It's fine. Mental math is yeah, out the door. Exactly. <laughs> HP. Yeah. Um, two, three entirely different models in three entirely different economies. You know, you take a, a large lender, um, you know, Flagstar in your backyard there, Victoria, you know, that their pipeline is entirely different than Penny Max or Quickens or whomever, um, just based on geographic makeup. So their fallout is going to be different as affected by the potentially coming unemployment. Um, you know, how, how do we price that? And that's almost a rhetorical question. I get it. But um, it's something we wrestle with every single day as we we adjust and balance QRM. I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. It's kind of one of those situations where you're so overwhelmed, you just feel like taking a nap instead of doing anything. Um, and that's, that's kind of how we feel every single morning when I, I meet with my team to figure out, okay, how are we going to, how are we going to price this? What kind of rate sheet are we going to put out to our guys? Um, and it's, it's very difficult, especially when you get, you know, initial, initial jobless claims number of 3.3 million um, you know, just mm-hmm. this, was that last week that we got last, that last week, sir? Yep. Yep. Yeah. That and was, so, yeah. I mean, when you, when you see a number like that, that is truly unprecedented, um, it's, it, it makes it nearly impossible. I mean, we're, we're still all guessing. I think we're getting a little bit better at our educated guess now, but it, it, and that's a very uncomfortable spot for a capital markets person to be. Well, the other thing that I think all of us need to be mindful of is the purchase transactions are going to slow down, given what we're seeing in the country, right? With people basically locked up, not, I mean, who's out there really looking to buy homes, right? So that's going to slow down and we've got to be able to, to hang our hat on refis and um, make sure we're competitive there, make sure we get loans in the door, making sure that, that it keeps the machine running. Right. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. we we've taken a similar approach. I think that for us, we're we are trying to concentrate a little bit more on just getting the loans that we have through the pipeline. And then once we start to get a little more clarity around um, what's going to be happening with the the folks that are buying our loans and how people are viewing servicing and viewing spec payups, then you know maybe that's that's a week. Um, now we're still producing rate sheets. We're still taking applications. We're still locking loans. Um, but we're definitely very concentrated on getting the loans that we have in the pipeline through um, to closing. And then um, I think when we get a little bit more clarity over the, the next coming week um, to two weeks, it, it'll give us a little bit better of a handle on, on how, we, uh, how we proceed, right? But yeah. I think you're absolutely right, Vinny. Uh, we definitely can't you know, abandon refi business, especially with what's happening in the purchase market. Yeah, that's that's we're we're our position. We're actually leaning a little bit into the purchase market right now. Uh, we've we're we're giving a little bit more of a concession on pricing for purchases um, to put them a little bit better than than they are even now uh, when compared to refis. But that being said, yeah, we can't can't ignore the refis because that's obviously where in the portion of your pipeline. <clears throat> that's where a lot of the margin is built in too, because you don't have those purchase concessions if if you're pricing that way. Um, 
also too, you know, back to the geographic location piece, um, you know, our, our concentration is Omaha, Dallas, Denver area, Fort Collins, and a little bit in Illinois, and then out through Nebraska flyover country. So, you know, we're, we're trying to model out that, those purchases and refis and what they look like in terms of pulling through. Now, to the pipeline we're working through, you know, as I say, we're kind of leaning into purchase. You know, we, we, we have a huge, huge balloon behind us, too. And um, we're going to be auto extending those those locks for those borrowers only because we just have to. And it's going to create the probably safe to say less noise than by selecting borrowers. Just we're, you know, for regulatory compliance reasons, we're just going to be auto extending. And that's a really important thing to, to note, too, um, as you guys on the call here, go through your month of April, you know, getting ahead of that conversation, both with the borrower, with the salespeople, with the pipeline, and then also your broker dealer network and and your trades and your hedges, because all that has to be choreographed. Otherwise you're going to be on 48 hour notice going, okay, we're, we're, we got to do it. We're hosed and, and have your plan in place and, and have those dollars and note rates segmented. So, yeah. That's where we're at. Yeah, I mean, I think that's all great information. I I think we're um, coming to the end of the call here. Um, Didn't know if there was anything that uh, either of you wanted to mention before we end the call or if anybody had any other questions. Um, But uh, Vinny, thank you so much for joining us today. I mean, I know that we're part of another peer group and I so enjoy hearing your insight and, um, all of the awesome things that you guys are doing. Um, so thanks again. We really appreciate yeah. it. Agreed. Likewise, uh, I appreciate you inviting me. Yeah, definitely, Vinny. Yeah, good making the connection. All right, Rich, you want to take it back over from here? Yeah, thank you guys very much. Outstanding uh, conversation. Enjoyed it thoroughly. Uh, we had a large number of people on the line that I'm sure did the same. So Victoria, Mike, Vinny, thank you guys so much for uh, – taking some time with us this afternoon, lending your expertise and facilitating this discussion. Really, really appreciate it. Thanks for having us. You bet. And, uh, Thanks, Rich. For all of our members on the line, same time, same place next week, four o'clock Eastern on Wednesdays. Um, and uh, pay attention to our social media feeds at mortgagecollaborative.com. Uh, doing two, sometimes three of these calls a day uh, on very specific topics. So we appreciate your attendance, your membership, and uh, we'll see you soon on another one of our calls here on the TMC Connect Network. Have a great afternoon, everybody. Take care. For more information about how you can get involved with TMC Connect and witness the power of the network firsthand, please visit us at mortgagecollaborative.com.